the Intersection Education Podcast. Schools are the place where different institutions, services, and societal influences meet. In other words, they're at the intersection of children's lives. In the Intersection Education Podcast, we speak with insiders and outsiders of the education world to try to gain new insight and improve our schools. Welcome to this edition of the Intersection Education Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Corey Haley. My conversation today is with Justin Jackson. Justin's been working in the adult education field by developing professional development courses, writing books, and even creating online communities for adults, especially computer programmers. You can check out his site at megamaker.co. He has some great insights into the type of learning that people choose when they could buy anything with their money, really. And so it was an interesting perspective around what motivates us to learn and how we might support that learning. He also recently launched a startup with a co-founder called Transistor.fm, which is a podcast hosting site. He had some really great insights into how podcasting might contribute to professional learning. And I was interested to hear also what he thought about what education might be able to do to help develop the next generation of tech founders. Now, he didn't disappoint. Um, what I love about Justin is he he really freely shares of his experience. And I, I think he's going to make us all consider what he said in our context of school. Now, now, if you like what you're hearing, connect with Intersection Education. You can go to our website, intersectioneducation.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Intersection Ed, or even up on Facebook. And we really appreciate it when you rate us on iTunes and leave a review. Now, here's my conversation with Justin Jackson. Hi, Justin Jackson. Welcome to the Intersection Education Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. Yeah, I'm doing well. I was just telling you... Off air. We've known each other for a while. We have. And uh, I moved to Vernon from Stony Plain, Alberta back in 2012. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just I was out snowboarding this morning. Nice. Decided to <laughs> decided to take time off the time away from the office. And uh, just you get a little bit a little bit uh, spoiled here. I, I only did a couple hours. So you just go up, you ride a couple hours, and then as soon as it gets tracked out you leave. That's so I'm feeling amazing. great today. I can imagine. And Silver Star is such a jewel. Um, yeah. It, there's, we were looking at different places. And, you know, as a Alberta kid, especially if you grew up around Edmonton, it's like wake up 4 a.m. Saturday, drive four hours to Jasper, ride all day, put your lunch in your pockets. <laughs> don't, go, don't go in for nothing. And then, you know, hill closes at four and then you drive all the way home and so now when we were looking at somewhere to live silver star is 20 minutes from you know our house to the left and there's just not that many places like that no so yeah we're we're loving it i bet it uh i bet you are that's uh i'm i'm gonna stop talking about that before i become too (laughs) jealous and uh, start looking at uh real estate and education jobs in vernon but anyway Let's talk about uh, what I what I really wanted to talk to you about, and and 
I think that you have a really amazing perspective, and that is you've been working in the field of education, but not in formal education of schools. And and you've been creating adult education experiences where where if people didn't like what you were selling or they weren't learning, they just weren't buying from you. It was that private thing. And that's through your, you know, developing courses, writing books and, and creating these online communities for adult learning. Mm-hmm. Do you have any takeaways when you think about what you've learned through the years about um, teaching or education or how people learn that what are the biggest things that you've kind of come to know or, or, or see as truths about about learning especially for adults uh, there's probably a bunch of things so the way that uh, the way that I decided to start teaching is I had this podcast called product people and we were interviewing the some of the best people in startups and design and tech, people that were creating software and some hardware, like some physical objects as well. And as a part of that, I started to build this audience. And the audience, you know, I was in communication with them, both on the podcast and then I had a weekly, I still do, a, a weekly email newsletter. And when you have an audience and you have a relationship, eventually they're going to start seeing you as an expert in certain things and start asking you questions. And so I was working for a software company at the time as a product marketing manager. And my job was to find out what people want, then help set, you know, define the vision of what we're going to build help to deliver that to the customer, then get their feedback, and then take all of that cycle and figure out how we're going to promote that and get new customers. <laughs> and, you know, I had indie software developers in my audience. I had all these people, and they were like, I just built an app. How do I get customers? How do I get <laughs> users? And you start to see patterns in the questions people are asking. And so eventually I was like, okay, I've answered these questions hundreds of times. I'm going to see if there's demand for a book and maybe a course around this. And so I put up a landing page, just a one-page website. And at the beginning, all it said was, Marketing for Developers, a guide on building and launching your own thing and getting your first 100 customers. And then I just wrote one chapter of the book and I made that the sample chapter that people could download. And I just put it up on the internet and um, I didn't just leave it there. I was promoting it on my podcast. I told people about it on my newsletter. Mm-hmm. Um and eventually it got picked up and it kind of went crazy. I think in a couple months it had probably two or 3,000 people that had signed up with intent. So these weren't just drive-by people. These were people that had signed up with intent and said, I want to learn this. I feel this pain in my life. Uh, I'm you know, somebody who's trying to create software and I've tried it in the past and I've failed. I need to figure this out. And so that's how I knew that it was worth doing. And even though I knew it was worth doing, I still procrastinated. It took me, I think, uh, 
I started it in 2013 and then I finished the book and the course in 2015 in, when did I, I kind of did a beta launch in August and then the official launch October 15th, 2015. And I think it did about 20 or $30,000 revenue in that time, something like that. And so I was like, whoa, what's going on here? Like there's something here that the market had responded and um, people were telling their friends about it. And yeah, that's how I got into it was just answering people's questions, being helpful, showing up and, you know, uh, being willing to engage with folks wherever they were at and taking those kind of common pain points and then putting it into an outline and then trying to teach people how to do it. Very interesting. I, I think that that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a private perspective, right? Cause you're making a course, but isn't that what we do with adults? We say, Hey, what are you struggling with? How can I help mm -hmm. you with that? And I think that it speaks to knowing your audience, knowing your staff for, for a school, and then mm -hmm. also being able to have a little bit of lived experience to know what's resonating with the people that, that you serve. So I think mm -hmm. that, that, that makes sense. Now, did you have, I mean, you have an audience that is very um, tech savvy. So y you mm -hmm. obviously chose, you know, a more of an online platform. Do you think mm -hmm. that learning that way online uh, is different than face to face? Now, and now you do a little bit of, of each because you do some some kind of coaching individually and stuff like that. But it, mm -hmm. do you think that what did you think about when you were developing this online course? Was the did the mode? of education change how you presented it or was it just kind of okay no this is what we're doing so it just works and still a book but i could be printing it but i'm doing it online yeah yeah actually i should back up because before that i did do some online workshops okay and where i was teaching people in real time and so they're in chat and they're able to interact with me cool uh, in chat and so i and that was just testing out some of the ideas. Right. Um, and I'd also done some uh, local workshops too, where you know I would say, okay, I'm gonna, you know, get ten people in a room, and I'm going to teach you everything I know about launching a product. Mm -hmm. And when I advise people these days, I usually ask them, I usually recommend, I should say, to start with a, a local workshop hmm. or. Find a meetup you can teach at or something. Get in front of real people because I think there is a lot you can learn just from doing it in front of people and seeing their reactions, uh, getting you know the ability for them to put up their hand and ask a question in the moment, uh, the ability to – you know right away if you've nailed it or not yeah. and if it resonated and if you know people have takeaways written out um, – that's one of my favorite things to do at a conference is like stand in the back and then someone's up front speaking and there will be certain slides where everyone lifts up their phone to take a picture <laughs> of the slide yep. and you just, you're like, what was it about that slide that made this whole room go, I, I got to save that for later. Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in those moments. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I think that there's tons that you get in person uh, I think one of the things we've also discovered with online courses is, you know, at first there's like 
people just seem so into it. Oh, I can learn at my own pace. It, you know, I don't have to go anywhere. Uh, it's a lot cheaper. But now we're starting to see that the the disadvantages of that. Mm-hmm. You know, like there is something about having a cohort that's going through the same thing with you in real time, learning at the same time, interacting at the same time. There's a little bit of competition. There's a little bit of, um, you know, support. There's something about that that's very powerful. And so I've done a few experiments where I've tried that approach. Um, and I think there's something to that. Uh, I think there will still be certain things that people just want to learn on their own. That makes sense, you know, like reading a book and uh, coming up with a bunch of takeaways that way. But there's there's certainly kind of levels, you mm-hmm. know, and um, that some things can almost start off in self-education. And then if you want to take it to the next level, maybe you need a cohort or you need to actually show up in a classroom and have, you know, be present. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I think there's advantages and disadvantages of, of the online learning model. Um, The advantage is, is accessible. It's cheaper. People can do it wherever they can do it on their own time. It's good for the creator the teacher, if you can, if you can uh, deliver something that can be self-paced, because it's way easier on the teacher. Um, but in terms of people actually coming away with something, yeah, there's nothing like being in person, and yeah. uh, you, even just being able to see the way they're reacting and know, okay, I, I, you didn't quite get that. Let me, yeah. let me try to explain it a different way. You bet. And we see that, I mean, like that's the lived experience of teachers, right? That's, we, we get that interaction lots. So yeah, I know I appreciate that. And I think that you said something valuable there about the engagement. I mean, we oftentimes, um, we oftentimes skip over that engagement part with adult learning in, in education when we're talking to teachers. So I think mm-hmm. that I appreciate that. One of the other messages that I really like, and you didn't mention it um, in your last one, is is this idea that multiple areas of knowledge makes people better able to earn money or to have successful businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I can think about clearly from from your work was I think that you were given the example of a programmer. So if you have coding skills, you're mm-hmm. okay. But if you add programming skills plus business skills plus marketing skills, well, then you're a rock star. Like you are going to have a successful... Do you think that yeah. that idea has implications for schools, especially for high schools, perhaps? Um, would you advocate for people being perhaps more generalists or experts in different areas? Or would you, I don't know, do you, do you think mm-hmm. that you have to kind of do one at a time? I don't know. Your thoughts about that when we're talking about kids who are learning maybe in high schools? Sure. I mean, in tech, there's there's... Uh, been a trend towards people learning a uh, greater breadth of skills. Yeah. Now, the funny thing is, in certain cases, it, it's gotten more specialized. So uh, take all of this kind of, there's different pockets and, you know, but in web development, for example, we have this, this uh, description called full stack developer, meaning they can, at multiple levels of the stack, they have enough knowledge that they can, you know, build a basic web application just on their own. Right. And that might mean the further they go up the stack, that might mean they have 
like design skills. They 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 can uh, build interfaces and web pages that look really nice and function really nice and have a good user experience. But all the way to the back end, which would be you know database work. I know how to configure things. I know how to actually write the code. Uh, I can make this thing scale. And it started very specialized. Like you would just have you know. Uh, DBAs. All they do is database stuff. You would have, you know, just uh, back-end COBOL programmers, and all they do is COBOL. That's it. But things have gotten more and more. Um, you, <laughs> it's kind of like if you were skateboarding in the '80s, you only needed to know two or three tricks. Right. But now, because there's so many tricks, you would need, you know to know hundreds of tricks if you were going to compete at a high level. And I think every profession almost goes through that. Like, sure, HTML and CSS might have been enough to get you a job maybe 10 years ago, but now you're also going to need to know JavaScript. You're going to need to know, uh, you know some, some programming framework. Um, and then we even go outside of that, and we go, okay, well, if you know programming... But you also understand uh, leadership and teamwork. You're going to be much more valuable than someone who just knows programming. Mm -hmm. If you are a programmer that understands leadership and also understands um, how to sell, well, you're going to even be more valuable to the team. So I think there's still like a lead. You know, I know a little bit of programming and I'm challenging myself to know more, but it's never going to be my lead. Like it, it won't be the thing that they hire me for first. Right. But if they want to hire me for product management or marketing or whatever, and then I, in the interview I say, Oh, and I am, I'm fairly comfortable in, you know, the development process. I know how to deploy things. I know, understand how Git works. I can write basic rails code then I become that much more valuable. Right. And uh, I think that is definitely a trend when you're hiring. That's what you want. Uh, this is some, He's a bit of a notorious figure now, but Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert, um, I don't agree with all of his politics, but he, he's the, the one that kind of really got me this idea, which was he's overlapped, I think, three or four things that he's pretty good at. Like He's not the best drawer, drawer drawer illustrator in the world um he's not the best artist right but he can draw okay he's not the funniest person in the world but he's pretty funny he's not the uh i can't remember what his third one was uh he's not the most knowledgeable about business but he knew enough about business to comment on it and he was able to take those three separate things that were some of it was skill-based some of it was experiential and when he overlapped them, the sum of those parts made him, you know, kind of much more uh, successful. Yeah. And I think that's true for sure. I think there's, uh, you know, like in the programming world, one of my advantages is I love being on stage. I, I'm, uh, I don't know if I'm a natural entertainer, but I like to entertain. I like to perform. And so like programming conferences will hire me to be the MC because I just bring energy and I, I'm used to that. 
And that's one way I've been able to stand out um, that's unique to me because if I, you know, I put, okay, I'm good at that and then I'm also good at that and I'm good at that, that the, the sum of those parts is quite valuable. Right. And maybe in the old days, you might, you know, notice a kid that's really good at chemistry and say, okay, you just got to go deep on chemistry and don't think about anything else. I think that's becoming less and less true because so many things are inter, they're interrelated now. Right. Like if you're going to, you know, you want to get into big data, well, as we've seen, you probably also need to understand privacy. <laughs> you probably <laughs> some sort of emotional uh, intelligence. And so it's not enough to just be really, really good at chemistry anymore in the market. I, that's my opinion anyway. Yeah. I, think, I think you want people that have a lead, like, oh, you know, my friend Werner, like he was the best at chemistry, but he also has these other attributes that make him a really valuable member of the team. Yeah. And I think that that's exactly what we're kind of wrestling with this. We're wrestling with this idea of how do we create these amazing entrepreneurs? And I mean, even in that whole realm, I mean, the tech entrepreneurship, it is seen as, as a, as a really high end future for these kids. And mm -hmm. so I'm interested, I was interested to get your perspective on that. And it sounds from you mm -hmm. is that, yeah, go deep on the tech, but also don't forget about some of these other cross curricular cross um, subject skills that you're yeah. going to need, because if you're flat and don't have some of those, you're either going to A, not be valuable for the skills you have, or B, you're not going to be able to use those skills to communicate them in ways that will allow you to create the relationships that you need. Yeah. Actually, that, that made me think of something that I actually bring up quite a bit. Because I have two minds about this. One is I think schools could definitely be doing a better job of allowing kids to explore some of the things that they're interested in and, you know, just naturally, right? Mm -hmm. But the other benefit of school is the rigor. Yeah. Like, and so I've used this example. Uh, Dr. Nyberg taught English AP at Stony Memorial High School for years. I don't know how long. And, you know, I signed up for her AP class. I liked writing already. But then I get into her AP class and she made me write a dang essay every single week. And when she marked it, she wasn't even nice about it. You know, like she, she would like tear these things apart. And I was used to, you know, I had kind of figured out a way to charm my way through school. And so when she showed up, like she showed up and started uh, challenging us to do work at this level, it wasn't fun. And, you know, I remember us complaining about it. Like, Nyberg, you're, you're making us write another essay? Like, can't we do something else? And it was always oh, three-point essay, three-point essay, three-point essay. Well, I think I had her for grade 11 and 12. Graduate, uh, register for uh, business at Grant McEwen, comes time to write the first paper and none of my classmates can write. <laughs> they can't write at all. And I could have written that paper in my sleep. Like to this day, 
um, you know, writing comes easier to me than a lot of my peers. And it wasn't, that's not like just ingrained talent. That was like hammered into me mm-hmm. by Nyberg. And so part of me is like so thankful. I went through this one phase where I was thinking about education. I'm like, ah, we got to get rid of all this, you know, dumb classroom structure and all this other stuff. Let's just, you know, let kids pursue their own passions and whatever. And I think there is a piece of that. But the other advantage of school is that the teacher has some authority and says, listen, you're in my class. This is what I expect. And if they know what they're doing, they, they will, you know, get you to practice and practice and practice and practice and practice. Like this wasn't just her getting us to memorize grammar. She didn't care about us being able to like memorize conjugation. This was like, we would write an essay and she would correct our grammar. We would write an essay and she would correct our sentence structure. Right. And man, that helped. Mm -hmm. And I wish that my biggest regret in school is that when I got into high school, there was a shift from, they were teaching us, programming. They were teaching us basic programming on Apple IIe's in Mm -hmm. elementary, which was amazing. And then we got into high school and the whole world had shifted to kind of knowledge workers or office workers. And so all we learned was Microsoft Office. Mm -hmm. And I wish I had had somebody in a rigorous way force me to practice programming Mm -hmm. because I could really use that. (laughs) right now if i'd had the experience if someone had made me you know run those drills i would be in a much better place now than um not having it so i think part of it is the interest i signed up for english ap because i liked to write it had been affirmed to me by teachers that i was a good writer but it wasn't until i met nyberg <laughs> that she was like she's like no this is the way you're going to write like <laughs> and uh that was so helpful and you know that's paid dividends years later like i'll I'll always have that and you don't have very many opportunities like that where you've got this group of kids that has to be there or in adult education you know like you're in college they have to be there they're showing up and it's a great place to get some rigor in there to get some practice to to do something that they're never going to have the brain space for ever again and that they might not understand at the time. But years later, they'll be like, oh, thank God that, you know, she made me do all that practice. Because now writing is like, I don't know, writing is like 75% of my life. Right. Yeah, we talk a lot. I mean, I have this, I have this, I have this theory. I, I didn't develop it. I mean, a guy named Dr. Simon Breakspear kind of developed this. That school should be rigorous and human. Mm-hmm. Should be both rigorous where we make you practice things and there are right answers. And But it's also human where you explore things you're interested in and we let you communicate and form teams and all that. And, and that yeah. balance, getting that balance right. It, it sounds like you're speaking to that. It's, it's that yeah. you need to have them both. Yeah, and so I really come, appreciate that. I've come around on that. Like I said, I used to have – I my wife used to get upset because I was like, I don't know if I even want to send my kids to college because I had been able to teach myself so many things on the internet. Mm-hmm. And it felt like, wow, who needs formal education? But now I've come <laughs> – I think I've come back halfway. Right. Which is – 
exactly the tension between those two things, mm-hmm. um, which is, yeah, it needs to be rigorous and human. So if a kid comes to you and they want to, I don't know, like um, my son, my 13 year old son is really into uh, taking old Nintendo games and tearing them apart and then being able to reprogram them like the dialogue and other things the way he wants. That's amazing. That's right? amazing. Yeah. But that's just the seed of his potential. What he really needs. And, you know, I struggle as a parent to give him is someone with who can in a rigorous way challenge him and say, okay, you're kind of playing around here, but to really get to the next level, I need to push you a little bit beyond mm-hmm. what you're comfortable. And, I think that is actually the problem with with self-learning or self-education or whatever is that we just stay too much in our comfort zone mm-hmm. and uh, re- the 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 magic happens just at the edge of our comfort zone when someone says okay I I can see you can write a pretty good story but I'm going to push you you're, you're not going to like <laughs> it but you're going to I'm going to push you and it's not going to feel good but it's going it's going to help you grow that's it and having the trust with that person doing the pushing to know and to yeah. to trust that yeah this push will 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 equal something. Yeah, yeah. I don't. How do you like? I'm trying to think of why because there was definitely teachers I didn't respect as much. I wonder right. why Nyberg was able to because we all respected her. Do you think it was something to do with the formal education that allowed her to put doctor in front of her name? <laughs> That's got to be an aspect of it, right? Like we hate formal education. Yet when someone walks in and be like, "Yeah, I got my MBA," you're like, "Oh, okay, this yeah. guy probably knows what he's doing." Like you walk yeah. in with a certain amount of credential. Yeah, I yeah, wonder. I think, I think that could have been it. Uh, I think also sometimes, uh, like my the only professor from university I can remember, this guy named Jim Wishloff. Uh, I had this I had this system uh, kind of down. First day of class in college, I'd put up my hand and, you know, try to say something smart and get on the teacher's radar. You know, I, I had a way of kind of charming my way into, uh, you know, b- being involved. I, I want them to know who I am, all these things. And I remember getting into Jim Wishloff's class, uh, business ethics, and uh, he's talking and talking. And, and then at one point, I put up my hand. Okay, it's time for me to say something smart. Put up my hand tried to say something smart and he just looked at me and said, that's completely incorrect. Like (laughs) you're, you're, that's, that's not right at all. And I had never had anyone challenge me like that. It was, it really took me back, but it made me respect him. All of a sudden Mm -hmm. I was, it, I was like, Oh, Oh, I guess this isn't going to be a cakewalk. Like I've got to, I've got to do this. I ended up loving, like I took three more classes from him. Um, and, I think, yeah, there's different ways to engender respect. And sometimes, you know, people just want to be challenged. They want, they want to, they want someone who's going to push them a little bit. And yeah, so there's something about that, that I think is, is important. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not easy. I'll put it that way. (laughs) It's not easy. Um, I'm interested in, in something a bit, um, more personal for you and you, you've been really forthcoming uh, and a big advocate for mental health 
And you've mm-hmm. shared some of your own personal experiences through through some of the different um, posts and, and podcasts I've read around yeah. mental health. And 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 now I don't want to present you as a mental health expert. In fact, we've already had one. Doctor Suzanne mm-hmm. Squires was on our podcast, oh, nice. and I learned afterwards that you knew her, which is yeah. funny. Um, but I'm interested to know having 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 gone through the process of really learning about w- mental health, and it maybe mm-hmm. even not even been on your radar. Is there anything that you've learned through that process that schools might do better to teach or to help kids be, be, be well, um, yeah. ideas to present to them, to make them aware of earlier, maybe that you didn't get. And now we realize we, we have a different education system now than when we did, you know, 20 years ago, but yeah. thinking back, can you think of anything that might've helped you when you're growing up to, to be able to better handle perhaps some ups and downs of mental health? I mean, I think the advantage we have now uh, I'm not sure what it's like in other pockets, but in the tech culture, definitely in the last couple of years, there's been a lot more transparency about mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, Rand Fishkin, who uh, is a well-known founder, has a book called Lost and Founder, and it's all about mental health. Uh, there's a podcast called Zen Founder that's all about um, you know, the mental health repercussions of being an entrepreneur and being in tech. And so having more people talk about it and being transparent about it and sharing their stories, I think those things were very helpful to me. Um, Education, I want to... Now, when you were growing up, like, I have a question for you. In high school, was that even on your radar? Like, Mm. did, did we talk about mental health? And I'm trying to think about when I was growing up. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think we talked about it at all. I think we do now more. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah. I think so. I graduated high school in '98, and it definitely wasn't talked about as much as it is now. And there's there's certain things like certain life skills now that um, I think I would highlight. Like if I was in a in a a life skills class or something, or if I was giving a grad commencement speech, I'd say, okay, there's a few things that are helpful in life. One is to establish a relationship with a therapist now, even if you feel good. Mm-hmm. Because I was a person who thought I would, I thought only weak people got depressed and uh, never never really had like, I mean, I had tough times, but whenever I heard people talk about being depressed, I thought, well, why don't you just like pick yourself up? Like, I don't get, I don't get why you're so weak. Mm -hmm. And then it hit me. And the only way I could explain it was like, it was like being punched into the ground by the incredible Hulk. And I just, I remember it hitting me and being like, okay, well, I'm stronger than this. I'm going to crawl up from this hole. And then it was like getting punched again and again. And it it really incom- incapacitates you in a way I've never experienced before. And uh, I had had people say, hey, you know, you should see a therapist or even just like, Justin, why don't you go see your your <laughs> family doctor once in a while? And I was always like, ah, whatever, like it doesn't matter. But in that moment, it was like, man, I wish, because then w- when you're desperate, it's like, well, oh, I, 
it's already uncomfortable, the idea of finding a therapist. Like, okay, what am I going to Google? Like, therapists near me. And then I'm going to try to decide who I should open my whole life and innards to just by looking at their little photo on the internet. That's hard. And so I wish I'd done that when I felt good. Mm-hmm. And um, to me, like having a therapist is just like good health. So to be able to go, it's, it's like medicine for me now. If I, if, I, if I don't have a monthly session, like it's at least once a month and more if I need it, but it, it all starts to build up in me and uh, <laughs> in a way that in the, in the past I might have just been like, well, I'm just going to hold on to this. But there's something about sitting across from a real human being and being able to express everything that is so healthy and i wish i had started <laughs> before the before the crisis came right so i think that kind of stuff is is uh is helpful i think there's a little bit too much not just in public schools but in general and it's difficult because you know there's this professional side of us that wants to be in control, that wants to be um, a little bit of an authority. But that kind of polite society where we never talk about some of the real human uh, stuff that's hard, is uh, it, that's sometimes where we get into trouble. It's like uh, there's so many things I've had to deal with in my adult life that we're just never talked about in polite, polite society. And then you get out in the real world and you're like, wait a second, you get, you people told me it was, this was going to be like a fairy tale, but it's not, it's, this is, this is way different than you told me. Um, and having a little bit of, of kind of, um, reality, like, you know what, there's going to be things that are really hard and, the way to deal with those things is, you know, therapy is a good one. Um, you, you know, we can talk about physical exercise. We can talk about, um, you know, another story I've shared is that one of the first things my therapist told me to do was go see my family doctor. I'm like, why? Why should I do that? Like, this is this is silly. I didn't even know you were supposed to talk about mental health stuff with your with your <laughs> family doctor. So I'm like, okay, I'll uh, I'll do this. Uh, book the appointment, and um, and this is kind of like an example of a real life thing that it would be good to be kind of blunt about. So get in to see my 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 doctor, and um, the first question she asks me is, um, how much alcohol do you drink? And I said you know, I, I don't drink that much. And she said, well, how much? And I had gotten into the habit. I've got four kids. <laughs> Every night after I put them to bed, I'd have a couple drinks. Oh God, thank God they're in bed. Okay. I'm going to have a couple drinks. Relax. And she says, so you're having two drinks a night. Yeah. Two drinks a night. Every night of the week. Yeah. Probably five, five, six, seven times. Okay. Well, um, alcohol is a depressant. And if you are not feeling good, it is going to be way worse for you. 
So here's my prescription for you. I want you to quit drinking for at least three months, and I want you to double the amount of exercise you do. <laughs> How much exercise were you getting, Justin? <laughs> well, at the, t- at the time, I'm like, that's actually a question she asked me. She's like, so what do you do for exercise? I'm like, well, right now I ride my bike down the hill to my office and back up. And she said, it's okay, I want bad. you to do that twice. And so I did. And, um, you know, there's so many parts of that story that are just helpful to know and hear, which is one of the reasons that I've been sharing it. Uh, one, oh, alcohol is a depressant. Like, it's good for you to know that. Mm-hmm. It's good for you to know that. Uh, and I, I have nothing against alcohol, but when you consume it, you should know that it is a depressant. It is acting on you in a certain way. And um, and not in a preachy way. Like she wasn't preaching to me like, you know, no, no. she was just saying, this is, this is just the facts about your health. And so if you want to get better, if you want to feel better, this is what you need to do. Um, and, you know, knowing that I could talk to her about mental health, um, all those kinds of things were helpful for me. And also <laughs> seeing how, this what I thought was an innocuous habit of having a few drinks after my kids were in bed was actually a kind of a destructive habit that was kind of making me feel worse and worse and worse. And until someone was kind of brave enough to confront me on it, go, well, just so you know, (laughs) if you're drinking every single night, that's going to have, and all my friends, like none of my friends batted an eye at my drinking. None of them, uh, confronted me about drinking but to have a professional say just so you know that that is a lot and if if you want to get out of this depression this is one thing we're gonna have to do yeah so yeah i think um you know there's already so many great things about like opportunities in school like you have a health class and you have um you have these channels where we can say those things. And uh, again, I, I'm assuming that it's being talked about way more now than it ever was. And the, a lot of it is just about talking about it yeah. and, and saying, you know, like it's, it's normal to go see a therapist. It's just normal. It's normal to book an appointment with your doctor and uh, to say, hey, I want to talk about my mental health. That's, that's fine. It's normal even to tell your doctor uh, a little bit about what's going on with you. And they have heard it all. <laughs> so that all of those things, um, I think sometimes just communicating it. These are things, these are normal life things. And, uh, and th- th- that's, kind of the, that's kind of all you can do really is like yeah. talk about it openly and in a real way, not in like a, not in a fairy tale way. Kids will never really know what it's like to be an adult until they become an adult. And then there's even like, there's an adult when you're 20 and then an adult when you're 30, <laughs> an adult when you're 40. Um, yeah. Like right now, there's like some 60-year-olds listening to this and going, oh, that Justin, he's such a naive kid. Oh, that young whippersnapper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think just talking about some of that stuff is, yeah. is helpful. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm glad that it's being talked about more. I, that, that was one of the reasons I was able to go, okay, I'm going to go get a therapist. And since I've started talking about it, I've gotten tons of emails 
from software developers and other folks saying, hey, man, I heard that interview you did. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go find a therapist. And they did. Awesome. So it's having an yeah. impact. That's, yeah. that's really great to hear. And, and, uh, I want to commend you on kind of sharing some of those really personal experiences. I, I imagine it's, it's probably a bit scary at the beginning. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm thankful that, uh, yeah, I'm thankful that I had enough support and enough kind of whatever around me that it, um, yeah. And so, yeah. And, and, and honestly, what made me the most upset is that maybe I hadn't heard more about it. Yeah. I, I thought it was unusual to go through a hard time. And so for people to be other people to be talking and saying, actually, that's not unusual. Most humans go through multiple hard times. Um, and actually, Justin, as a privileged white male, you've actually, you haven't even had the worst <laughs> of it. Right. And yeah. so this is just life. This yeah. is, it, it is hard and that's normal. And so we have to have a way of responding to it. You bet. I'm interested to know, um, I guess more, more, more broadly, is there something about learning or education that you believe to be true that other people disagree with you on, or when you talk about it, people are like, Oh, Justin, what are you, what are you talking about? That's, that's not how it is. That's not how people learn. That's not how education works or should work. Um, mm -hmm. Is there anything like that that you often get pushed back on? Uh, I mean, I've got all sorts of I've got all sorts of ideas that may or may not be practical in a a real world sense. I think that uh, post secondary education uh, is going to have a real hard time in the next little while. Just as a business person, I'm looking at it going that the the fundamentals of that business, quote unquote, are uh, going to become more difficult. Uh, so as an example, we, you know, it's generally accepted that uh, post-secondary education is way more expensive, uh, that kids are graduating with all this debt and all these other things. There's a school called Lambda that will teach you to be a programmer for free. It's a, it's a actual, like, um, it has actual curriculum, actual instructors, actual classes, but you do not, you don't pay any tuition. What they do is when you graduate, they will find you a job and then you, uh, you, they take a portion. I think it's, I don't know what it is, 30% of your salary until you've paid off your tuition. Right. What they would say their tuition is agreed upon amount. That's right. Right. And so, that, you know, if you are a, uh, you know, a factory worker making $40,000 a year and you graduate and you're able to get a programming job where you're making $100,000 a year, you're already making more money. And so you're, you're happy. And then Lambda gets paid for the education on the back end, but right. only if they're successful in this case in, you know, giving you the job. And so I think there's some models like that in adult education that are interesting. Um, I also think, you know, uh, my graduating class in 98 was like one of the, maybe not the first, but 
like my parents' generation, not very many people had their bachelor's degree. And so then there's this whole generation that raised their kids to say, you will get your bachelor's degree. It's going to make all the difference in the world. And so we all ran out and got our bachelor's degree. And then we graduated and we're like, oh, wait, supply and demand. If there's more supply of bachelor's degrees, they become less valuable. And, uh, you know, maybe we're going to see a return to like more apprenticeships more, you know, uh, like if you're really into business, maybe it makes more sense for you to go and find a company that you really want to work for and just start at the bottom and work your way up and learn on the job. Um, and my daughter is, uh, 16 now, so she's uh, in grade 11. She'll be graduating in grade 12. Uh, so that's got a year and a half left. And again, initially, I was like, ah, I don't know if she should go to university. But then we went to Scotland, and we were walking around the University of Edinburgh. Uh, and I would talk to the kids that were there. And I was like, oh, this would be a very different university experience going somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I could see a lot of value in it beyond just getting the credentials so you can get a job, but going somewhere and having an experience, meeting people from around the world, being in this context that's, you know, fertile with all sorts of other different good things. That's interesting to me. And so now I'm like, oh, you know, maybe you should go to a school abroad or maybe you should go to school just because you want to, you know, be in a certain cohort of people. Uh, Maybe you want to go to school just so you can experience something from the best teacher in the world. Like you find uh, your Dr. Nyberg and you say, okay, I'm just going to go and learn from that person as opposed to this just kind of cookie cutter. We just crank out credentials on an on assembly line. I think all of that's going to change. I think there's going to be way, way more of that. And uh, I've, I've, uh, I've been listening a lot to Seth Godin, who has a lot of edu- – opinions on education. And I think the the questions he is asking that are right is who is school for and what is school for? Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of days where I just feel like school is just uh, uh, publicly subsidized daycare so I can go to work. Yep. And, and that, and I think it's okay actually to understand that that is one of that is one of the jobs that school is accomplishing. Yeah. And then to say, okay, but what else is school for? And what else is school for? And who is it for? So, you know, for some parents, if you're saying, well, par- school is partly for parents, and it's part that's okay, that's that's one piece. If it's for kids, and it is it's for both, but when it's for kids, what is it for? Mm-hmm. And that's that's just good design thinking. How are we going to design an experience around who it's for and then determining what it's for. And uh, even if like you're asking these questions like, hmm, maybe we should be overlapping more things. Like maybe instead of telling that kid to just double down on chemistry, we should say, yeah, double down on chemistry. But this, um, you know, this psychology class you're going to take is just as important. And here's why. And we're going to, uh, 
not keep them as silos, but we're going to teach you how to integrate both of those things in the real world. And here's some examples of how you might do that. That there's, there's going to be more of that in education. And, and maybe finally, I think, uh, school's big advantage is the rigor. You can get somebody that is the best at a particular topic. And if they are good at, uh, challenging kids to practice and really in a rigorous way, getting them better, helping them level up in a way that they'd never be able to level up on their own. That pays dividends forever. And really, you can only, the best way to do that is in person, in a class where you have to show up. I agree. And and that's a huge advantage because yeah. no one else can really deliver that. So, yeah. And, and Justin, I would say that it's uh, not only a huge advantage, but it's a huge responsibility. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's, you know, that's on, on teachers. And I think that there's a whole bunch who are always continually questioning, are we getting the best? Are we, are we, are we that person? Are we creating the experience that makes them level up? So yeah. I think that that's great to see your perspective as someone from the outside, because it's a lot of the same things that we're, we're asking ourselves on the inside as well. Yeah. How do we overlap? How do we make this human and rigorous? How do we create um, the futures that these kids have imagined for themselves yeah. yet at the same time um, kind of push that idea. So it's like, yeah, you can pursue that, but you know, I'm also going to push you to think about other ways. So I, I just love that what you're saying in this like tech idea, this innovative thing that it is happening to a certain degree here at schools too. And I think yeah. it's awesome that you realize and, and that you're understanding the complex nature of all the different things that act upon. Yeah. yeah. So that's really cool. Can I, can I give your listeners some homework? I love it. I think <laughs> that they would, uh, they would appreciate it. Okay. So, and you might already be doing this, but this is something in product marketing, we have to learn. And so it's just, and something we have to practice just like anything else. The only way to know what you're doing now that's actually going to resonate in 5, 10, 20 years is to go to people and ask them about their experience 5, 10, 15, 20 years later. And so you need to have a trigger in your mind when you're with, so you're in the grocery store and you see an alumni, someone who graduated 10 years ago. And, you know, there's the typical question, how are you doing? Oh, you're still here? Oh, what are you doing? Okay, you've got the kids. Um, All of those questions are great. But I want to challenge you to ask one question, which is, hey, listen, I just, I'm curious. What is one thing you learned at Meridian Heights School, whatever, Barstow Elementary? It doesn't have to be from me, but what's something that you've learned that still is still paying dividends now for you in your life or that you still find yourself using all the time or a lesson that you continually come back to? And... um. You know, people might have to think about it a little bit. They might, but there are certain things that they're going to say. They're going to be like, "Oh, I got, uh, I got a job at this software company called Mailout, and I'm on my first week there. I'm trying to prove myself." And then we get this call from Ottawa. She only speaks French, and. 
they look around the room. They're like, does anyone here speak French? And I go, oh, I speak French. That French immersion really paid dividends for me. So now you've got an, a practical example. You've got a story. And that story is that's that's the important piece, because now, you know, how are people using this in the real world? And it might not just be something like you taught me how to write an essay really well, but it might have been, you know, a, a philosophy of learning. It might have been, you know, there's all sorts of things that teachers are teaching, but you have to ask the question. And we do this in in product marketing all the time. We ask questions that help people articulate their experience in a way that they might not volunteer just on their own. Right. And it takes some practice, but you will get better at it. And it's a great way to figure out what you should be doing now mm-hmm. that is going to pay those kinds of dividends. And it's something that you almost have to be like, oh, wait, oh, yeah, Justin told me I should ask these questions. And you kind of stumble over yourself. Okay, this sounds so stupid, but hey, what is there anything that you experienced at this school that's still helping you now? And, you know, see what they say. What's what's top of mind? Be fascinating. Um, yeah. And 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 invite people, you know, on a podcast. Usually at the end we go, uh, hey, folks, remember to rate and review the Intersection Education podcast. Um, and folks should do that right now. Five stars. Um <laughs> But th- these are these are natural triggers that we've learned to do over time, and you can be you can be communicating that in an alumni newsletter. Hey, folks, if there is something that you remember that you learned at school, this school, that continues to help you today, could you write us an email and let us know? We'd love to hear that story. And those stories, they're going to motivate you. They're going to help you figure out what you should be teaching now. They're going to, when you feel crazy, when the kid, the kids are complaining because you're getting them to write those essays, you're going to have uh, this, this uh, raison d'etre inside of you that says, no, this is why I'm doing it. Because I know that in five years, I've heard the stories from the people five years down the road that this works. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome homework. Uh, I'm interested <laughs> to try it. <laughs> Um, do you know what? I got a couple quick hitters to, to finish off today. Um, okay. now, uh, I'm going to put a little caveat on this one. It cannot be Transistor FM. And, and by okay. the way, a little shout out to Transistor FM. If you're starting out a podcast, uh, check them out. But do you have a favorite app, website, or other media, like a film or something like that, that, um, that you use either personally or that you really like? Oh, yeah. Um, so there's one called Streaks that is, uh, basically, so I've set, there's some things I'm, I want to try to do every day or every week. And there's this idea of not breaking the chain, right? So I'm going to do this and not break the chain. And so I've been using this quite a bit. Um, one of my goals for this year is to not drink any alcohol until I hit a certain revenue number. And so I've got an eight day streak for that. Um, I've got a workout streak that's seven days. I'm trying to re- read real paper books because I was, I was reading so many books on my phone and I realized my kids were just seeing me look at my phone. And so I, I have read a real paper book and I've done that eight days in a row. So yeah, Streaks is a really great app that I've been using. Uh, and maybe another one just quickly, Dailyo, D-A-Y-L-I-O. It's a, like a mood journal. 
Hmm. So how are you feeling right now? Uh, you know, rad, good, meh, bad, awful. And you can then associate activities with these emotions and then it'll give you stats on, oh, you know what? Often you feel bad when you go to bed late. Hmm. And so I've, I've really enjoyed that one too. Um, I've been using that for about a week and it gives you a, a monthly mood chart where you can kind of track, oh, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling that. And it's really interesting to quantify some of that stuff. Um, especially if you're going to therapy, you can, it's like one of the things you can show folks. Absolutely. Speaking of books, do you have one that you're uh, really liking right now, or maybe one that historically you've, um, you've, you've told people to read? Yeah. Uh, I'm reading Atomic Habits right now by James Clear. Uh, I met him at a retreat in Colorado and before he released the book and when he was telling me about what was going to be in the book, I knew it was going to be a bestseller. It is unbelievable. I think teachers should be teaching it. Um, the most powerful lesson inside of it is every action you take is a vote for the person you become. And so if you run just one time, you wouldn't call yourself a runner. But if you run on Monday and then you run on Tuesday and then you run on Wednesday and et cetera, by week's end, you might say, oh, I'm kind of a runner now. The, the, the actions we take reinforce and help define our identity. And that idea has been so powerful for me because now I realize like, you know, I didn't work out for years. Like I hadn't been in the gym for since 2012. But then I realized like, oh, every time I show up at the gym, I become one of those workout guys. Like that's that every time I do that, I become more like that person. And so I loved how it gives me the power through tiny improvements to become this kind of person you want to become. I think it's such a great and it's really practical. It's full of good research. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. It is, it's really good. That's awesome. Uh, interestingly enough, you're not the first person to recommend it. So oh, no way. yeah, we had, uh, Dr. David Tranter who, uh, also recommended that one. He's out at uh, Lakehead university. So that's very interesting. Now I'll have to for sure check it out. Um, yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Now you've talked a lot about things that you do, um, to keep you well and healthy. So I'm going to skip over that one mm -hmm. and ask you, is there an organization or a person who really inspires you either right now, or if you look back in kind of your history, is there someone or a, a place or a, a, an organization that says, Hey man, they're doing some really good stuff. Hmm. Oh, wow. Uh, does it have to be like a nonprofit? Or... It has to be whatever you want. It can be oh. absolutely profit or not profit. Just someone you think about. So you're like, yeah, that person's doing good stuff. I think I've got a lot to learn from them or I, I'd like to be kind of emulate some of the things they're doing. Wow. Um, I, in the business world, I've always uh, tried to emulate uh, 37 Signals. Now they're called Basecamp. Um, Jason Freed is one of the best writers and thinkers on the web. Uh, David Hanamar Hansen is um, his his co-founder and is also just kind of like a really vigorous thinker. Uh, they have a book called Rework, and their newest book is called It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work. Which is another one on my list I need to get to. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Um, and I think actually that idea of it doesn't have to be crazy at work has lots of applications for it doesn't have to be crazy at school. It doesn't have to be crazy at home. It doesn't have to be crazy. There's 
there's some things we could take from uh, the thinking they're doing there. So yeah, I I uh, highly recommend them too. They're yeah. they're great. They have a blog called Signal versus Noise, hmm. where you can read all this stuff for free if you want. It's really great. Do you know what? I want to thank you, Justin, so much for uh, for for speaking to us. I think it's just really valuable when we when we talk with people who are outside of education, get a little bit more perspective, and mm-hmm. um, just moves us forward as as educators. So, like I said, I want to take you thank you for taking a bit of time and, and really sharing some of your perspective. I, I I learned a lot. I thought that was really valuable. Yeah, no, that, this is fun. I, you you know when I get a little like I got fired up, I got some fire in my belly, and those I love these kinds of conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the honor is mine. I I really enjoyed being here and catching up with you. This is this is really great what you're yeah. doing here. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Intersection Education Podcast. Before you go, I'd like to recognize that the land where this interview took place is a sacred place that has a long history of human existence. This land has helped people like the Cree, Salto. Nisitapi or Blackfoot, Métis, and Nakota Sioux live well for thousands of years. Let us continue to live well and respect this land.